Hello, professional property managers. Thank you for pressing play on another episode of the Triple Win Podcast. In this episode, we've got Todd Orchard, CEO of Revolution Rental Management, and we cover a lot of ground from bourbon to RVPs, pet fees, ancillary revenue and services, as well as you know what's happening in real estate, how businesses need to create value and monetize, and even why Todd uh, has, has been on a hiatus from Facebook and will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, so we cover a lot here. We hope you enjoy the first, but certainly not the last, Toddcast. Uh, we hope with your feedback, we'd love to see more topics uh, that you'd love to hear from Todd and other guests. So with that, enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, uh, professional property managers. So excited to be with you. Andrew Smallwood here, host of the Triple Win Podcast with Todd Orscheid, my good friend, who you just heard a formal intro uh, of coming into this. So, Todd, we're going to get right into it. And importantly, first and foremost, uh, for everyone who doesn't know, Todd and I share an affinity for bourbon. And so we decided as a fun way to get things kicked off, uh, the true first deep dive episode of this podcast, uh, we wanted to pour a glass of our favorite favorite bourbon that we're drinking right now. So, Todd, I want to see, and for those watching on video, we'd love to see what you're going to be pouring on your end. Yeah, I'm actually going to be pouring here a uh, Ranger Creek 36 Cal Texas bourbon. I got this from uh, actually a second nature person now that I think about it. Blaze, uh, Blaze Case gave this to me when I was visiting out in uh, San Antonio. So going to give this a try. And I've got, uh, since I'm at the office, I've got my NARPM coffee mug, which is how I'll be drinking today, unfortunately. <laughs> Out of a coffee mug, just like most property managers drink their bourbon these days, I think. Uh, exactly. Jo- jokes aside, th- that's cool, Todd. Um, and Blaze, nice work. All right. I'm going to be opening uh, some Weller Special Reserve here uh, to honor my good friend Todd and this podcast and all of you. And I'm going to be pouring it into this fun glass here, if I don't mess my mic up, uh, that's got like a street design of Nashville, Tennessee on it. And, you know, since we're talking to Todd, I'm probably going to pour a little extra in here. All right, there we go. Um, any Weller fans out there, let me know. I'll let, you, I'll let you know what you think. So, Todd, first sip. How's it taste for you? Let's go. Cheers. Cheers. That's pretty good, actually. Nice choice there, Blaze. Thank you. Ooh. Todd, can we record another podcast episode right after this one <laughs> uh, and pour another drink? This That was really good. That tastes nice. Great. Uh, all right. Well, people by this point are probably saying, okay, great that you guys are enjoying bourbon, but I'm like driving on my commute listening to this podcast. So let's get to it. Um, <laughs> So, Todd, listen, I know this is new to you even because this is brand new at Second Nature, but the Triple Win podcast is really about how do you create wins for all parties? It's really like the lens through which we see property management and that many successful professional property managers like yourself really look at property management, which is through the lens of how is this going to impact residents? How is this going to impact property owners? And how's this going to impact my team and my bottom line, my business, um, and really taking all of that into consideration as you're making decisions about what to do, what to implement, what to change, where things are going, uh, looking at it from, from that frame. And so we'll be doing that as we go along. And we're going to start right off where you've really got some amazing expertise. You know, your business, PM Assist, has a very popular course. Uh, related to ancillary fees and just fees in general. Um, you've got a resident benefits package course, which is really great. Um, and it, it just people know you for the content that you bring as it relates to monetizing the business and different types of fees and ancillary services. And you're just, from our perspective, one of the stronger operators that we've ever worked with as far as getting something implemented. You know, clearly, you understand process, you get it done. Uh, you get it done quickly, and there, there's not a lot of drama. You execute well. And so I'd love to start with, you know, what are the things that professional property managers you know, should be thinking about today 
as it relates to ancillary services and ancillary revenue? Where would you like to start there? Well, I guess a great place to start is actually what you're talking about there with the, the whole idea of the triple win. Um, since you bring that up, I mean, that's that's actually where a lot of this stuff falls into when you really start to look at the not just the programs that, you know, provide the best value to people, but also the things that can provide the most revenue for your property management company and, and drive the most to the bottom line. You know, some of the things that do that when it comes to, to ancillary revenue is things like uh, a pet guarantee where you have pet fees, where, you know, that's obviously a benefit to your bottom line, but it's also a benefit to a landlord who gets a guarantee against pet damage and the tenant loves it because they're able to have a pet that they wouldn't otherwise be allowed to have. So, I mean, that's that classic triple win. And I mean, there's so many things like that from, you know, you can look at the benefit package, you know, your resident benefit package, like you mentioned, you've got your, your risk mitigation fees where you're able to help tenants who might not otherwise qualify for a rental and you're able to help the landlord get their property rented more quickly. You know, there's so many of these things when you look through all the different revenue generating ideas that are just good across the board for everybody. And that's really where you should focus, you know, your efforts when you're trying to bring in the most revenue and do the most good on this stuff. So Todd, give me, give us one of like your greatest hits, you know, call it what's, what's like your favorite thing that you've implemented as a program or as a fee, you know, that, has just been tried and true. And whenever you talk to other property managers about it and, and you hear about them going and implementing it, it's just, it's a major success um, and something they really see see working for them. What what would that answer be for you? Well, uh, you know, I, I would probably say it has to be the benefit package. I mean, we've talked about that so much, though. So I hate to focus on that just because we've, you know, we've done other podcasts and everything on that. I, I, I would hope people have heard about that. But I mean, that really is where everybody should start. You know, once you get past that, I would say, you know, the next biggest thing I, ha I have to say is the pet program, you know, and that's something that's been around for a few years now. It's, it's not something that was my idea. You know, I got to give credit to people like Robert Gilstrap and, and uh, uh, Jen Stoops, you know, there's other people who have been doing this, you know, we just kind of fine tuned it with how we use pet screening and in, in our process um, to maximize revenue. But these are ideas that have been out there for a while that some people have used. But I mean, this can generate just a massive amount of revenue for your company. Uh, and most of it is pure profit. I mean, we hardly ever have to pay out on our pet guarantee. So just for people who aren't familiar with this, the way it works is, you provide your landlord client a guarantee. You just, you, know, you can make whatever you want that to be. It could be, you know, a thousand dollar guarantee, 3000, whatever you want it to be. Just tell them I'm going to, you know, make your property a pet friendly property. That's what we do with all our properties. Uh, but in order to do that, I'm going to make sure you're protected by giving you this $3,000 guarantee. So if anything goes wrong, I want to fix it. Um, so, you know, it protects the landlord, makes them feel better because a $250 pet deposit, you know, that doesn't help anybody. You know, if somebody goes in and trashes the hardwood floors on the guy's rental property, he's not feeling too good about his $250 pet deposit. You know, he needs $1,500 to fix the hardwood floors. So you're actually providing that protection to the landlord. You're making the tenant just thrilled with you and with the landlord because they're able to have that pet where so many other landlords are telling them no, and you're just making bank. And when I, when I say you can make money on this, you know, John Bradford over at Pet Screening talks about this all the time. Over half of tenants have pets and the average tenant who has a pet has something like, I think, 2.1 or 1.9 pets. You know, it's right in that range. So it's tons of money. It's tons of tenants, you know, so it's not just the pet revenue you're dealing with. You're also dealing with the issue of it reduces your days on market because you're broadly expanding who can rent from your properties. And because of that, you're also able to select from the best tenants. You know, a lot of these people who, you know, think about the person who is that dog parent, you know, you know, who has that pet. They take such great good care, got such great care of that pet. You know, that's usually a pretty good tenant, you know, that's, you know, that's not the kind of person who, you know, is going to go in and trash your property. You know, that person who goes in and gets a pet score of five when they go through the pet screening process because they've got their pet vaccinated, insured, you know, all they've got all the documentation. That is someone who is diligent, someone who's conscientious. They're going to take care of your property. So if you're screening that person out, who are you benefiting there? You know, you're screwing over the great tenant 
you're screwing over your client who could have that great tenant and you're missing out on the revenue. So, you know, to me, this is, this is just basic. Everybody should be doing this. You know, I don't care what class of property you manage, you know, do a pet program, do a pet guarantee. You're going to love this. Everybody's, everybody you deal with is going to love this. You know, Todd, something I feel like I've noticed about you is where self-managing landlords or accidental, you know, real estate agents who happen to manage five properties on the side just to keep a relationship with somebody, people who aren't truly dedicated to being in the long-term rental game for the long-term in a professional kind of dedicated company to this, um, a lot of them are risk-averse in places that creates opportunity for professionals. And pets being an example of that and I think something that's different about how you see it is, okay, well, where others are not going to be able to offer service or choosing not to offer service, we actually can, but it's because we're knowledgeable about the risk. We have expertise about the risk here. We can price the risk in, and you know, we understand that if we provide this outlet for folks, uh, ultimately, they can be very happy with this because... They say it's, hey, it's the difference between being able to rent that three-bed, two-bath uh, and being able to get into it next week, right, in the neighborhood or school zone that they want with all of their pets there. Um, and, you know, they're, they're happy to pay you as the landlord, right, for, for the privilege of having their pets where others are saying, we don't allow pets. Um, and that either leads to them choosing your property or deception or, <laughs> you know, all kinds of other paths that they're going to take that can cause a variety of issues. It, is there anything else like that, Todd? I feel like you've talked about in the past, um, you know, maybe somebody with a lower credit score or something like that, um, that maybe there's a judgment call there. Um, and if you could talk a little bit about like, how do you make that judgment call? of pricing in the risk and saying, actually, this is an opportunity to create a win for the resident owner and us, as opposed to, um, you know, just taking a pass. Yeah. I mean, that's so, I mean, people who may, maybe you haven't heard about this, it's like a risk mitigation fee type thing where someone who does have that lower credit score, um, you know, but otherwise their application looks good. They just don't have great credit. You know, we see this all the time because there's a lot of people who, you know, especially those of us who were doing this 10 years ago, remember the people who went through foreclosure, their credit was destroyed. But I mean, this was somebody who makes $300,000 a year, maybe, you know, they're an executive at a company, they've got otherwise a stellar record, they've got great income and everything, but they just went through this situation where they took out this awful loan that you know ballooned and then they couldn't pay it. So now they've got awful credit and they have to go rent, but nobody wants to rent to them because they got bad credit. And they're just like, I make $300,000 a year. Why won't you rent to me? You know, this is a $1,200 a month rental. And you know, I look at that and I say, well, this is a prime opportunity to put somebody who you know is gonna be able to pay. Cause this was a crazy situation that got them into this. And we see this not just in that kind of situation, we see it with, you know, with student loans, with, you know, one of my pet issues is medical debt. I just hate seeing somebody's credit ruined by medical debt. It just drives me crazy. You know, those sorts of things should not keep somebody from being able to rent a property if they otherwise pay their bills. You know, if that person who has that student loan on their credit, but they otherwise, you know, they pay their utility bills, they pay their phone bill every month, you know, they've always paid their landlord, you know, why not give that person a chance to rent that property. But, you know, obviously factor in some risk there, just like any bank would do and charge an extra fee on that. Because when you look at this, you know, look at your local car dealership. Do you think when that person goes to that car dealership and says, I want to buy, you know, this new, whatever, this new, you know, Ford, you know, is going to turn them away and say, oh, no, your credit score is 550. We're not going to sell you this Ford. Well, no, what they're going to do is they're going to say, sure, I would love to sell you this brand new car. You're going to pay me an interest rate of 15% because I have to justify my risk that I'm taking in selling you this car and loaning you the money for it. That's how banks do this. And there's no reason why we shouldn't do something similar. You know, we can look at, at all these people and say, you are a worthy credit risk. You are just a bigger risk than everybody else. 
that we might approve. So we can charge this extra fee. And I, as the property manager, I'm going to provide a guarantee to my client on the back end of that because I'm willing to do that. You know, I'm going to allow that tenant with that extra risk profile. I'll cover you know, whatever it may be, you know, two months rent or whatever to provide protection for that landlord. Or maybe you want to do this with, you know, an insurance product. You know, once we get out of the uh, pandemic, Surevestor is there. You can you can provide this sort of protection with that insurance product. I prefer to do it in-house, you know, however you want to do that. But, you know, these are the kinds of things where, you know, you can, again, that triple win. And a lot of property managers will tell me, oh, but that's not good for the landlord. And I say, oh, yes, it is because, you're renting his property much more quickly. You know, one of the biggest expenses and any property manager worth their salt can tell you the biggest expense for a landlord is vacancy time. Because every week that your property goes by not rented is a 2% loss for that year. So or, or roughly 2%, it's slightly less. But you know, that's that's what they're losing. So, you know, getting the property rented quickly, as long as you could provide them that backstop protection, there's no reason not to do that. Mm, that's another great example. So we've got a couple of practical things here already, Todd. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is the 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 Toddcast or the podcast where uh, where we'll go deep on on resident benefits package per se. But you know, one thing I wanted to get your take on uh, because it, it's one of the mistakes that we feel like we see out in the marketplace as it relates to resident benefits package and. A lot of people who just have not charged ancillary fees before, right? They are charging a management fee. They are charging a tenant placement fee. They have an application fee, right? They have some of these kind of core essentials that have been around a long time uh, as far and models for just how you monetize a, a property management business. But, you know, could you give a sense of, you know, like what percentage of business are you generate, you know, like, if you looked at your profit or revenue, you know, what are some ways to think about and compare how I'm doing versus leaders in the industry and people who have taken action on these kind of things? Like, what are you seeing from those kind of core management fee type revenue, revenue places versus these kind of programs? How's that impacting your revenue uh, and profit? And then multi-part question, what, what would you say to somebody who's back where you were taking the leap, you know, for the first time into these kind of programs, um, you know, how can their business look and what advice would you give to somebody who's in that place and trying to make this kind of move? Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, it is, we used to be that kind of company that was only charging and we, we were proud of this, by the way, we had this in our marketing material. We would tell people all we charge is a management fee and a leasing fee. You know, that, that was it. And, you know, that was years ago now. Um, but, you know, that's where we were and our revenue reflected that. We were very low on our revenue. We made a hundred and some dollars a month per door, uh, which is typical for, you know, the, you know, the average property management company. And then one year, uh, this was several years ago, I went to a broker owner conference and saw Mark Cunningham give a presentation on ancillary revenue. And it was just, you know, my head just, you know, it was just this crazy, you know, light bulb went off and I was like, oh, well, I'm just doing this all wrong. What, what is wrong with me? I should have known, this. especially, you know, I came from the airline industry before I did this. And I used to sit as a union representative in meetings with executives at our airline. And they would talk about how the only way our airline made money was bag fees. You know, that was our entirety of our profit. And, you know, we didn't make any money selling airline tickets. So I should have known this. I should have thought about ancillary revenue, but it never occurred to me in my own business. And, you know, once I implemented that, what I saw to the revenue picture was just night and day. Now, when you look at our P&L, 60% of our revenue comes from ancillary fees. Now, that does include leasing fees. If you look at the NARPM accounting standard, they consider a leasing fee to be an ancillary fee. So, that's part of that picture. But, you know, a full 25% of that is tenant fees. So, a quarter of our revenue just comes from additional fees that we charge to tenants, and that number is growing. So, you know, over the next few years, as we get more and more tenants off of our older leases, because we still have tenants who have been with us for 12 years. So, you know, when they move out, you know, a new tenant comes in and we get them on our new fee structure, you know, that's going to grow. You know, we're going to be over $300 a month average unit revenue. So, you know, that's compared to $173, which is the industry average right now. So that's the kind of difference you can see here. You can basically double your company's revenue if you really work at 
providing these sorts of ancillary services. And a lot of this stuff, you know, very little of what we do is just, you know, punitive fees. There is some of that. I call them behavioral fees where we're trying to guide tenant behavior and that sort of things to discourage them from doing things we don't want them to do. But that's a very small portion of the revenue we collect. Most of the that extra revenue is things like we're talking about, those triple win type things where everybody's benefiting from it and nobody feels like they're, you know, getting screwed or anything like that. So, you know, what I would say to somebody who's looking to do this and they're kind of scared, you know, everybody who I've worked with when I've trained on this, everybody's worried about this. They always say, you know, am I going to lease the property? You know, or is my days on market going to go up as I add these fees? Are landlords going to be, you know, driven away? And my answer to you is this, I've never seen that happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, such a common concern. I hear it from everybody. It was a concern that I had every single time I've added some sort of fee. I've worried that it was going to be something that was going to drive those numbers negative. And it's never occurred because when we do this, there's always some sort of benefit being added to somebody. So, you know, when we added that benefit package, it was really easy for us to tell somebody, hey, yeah, you're paying this fee, but you're also getting filters, you're getting renter's insurance, you know, you're getting all the stuff. So they didn't view it as they were paying something extra. They just saw that they were paying a different person for the stuff they needed to get anyway, and it was easier for them. So, you know, don't worry about that. It'll work as long as you structure it right. Hmm. Wow. So, I, I mean, a couple of things I just want to make sure that don't get lost because, A, you had some great story and corollary there from the airline industry that I think is great and can, that people can relate to and understand um, is you mentioned $173 is the tip, like the standard in the industry and almost double that is what leaders in the industry are able to achieve. And an important point that you made was, hey, some of this is punitive fees and holding people accountable. And you know, there is value for the owner and, and you, the property manager, and that obviously the resident probably doesn't see as much value in that. Not, not quite the triple win there. Um, but that the majority of that, uh, most of the most of the iceberg there is actually things that is creating new value for the resident. It's creating new value for the owner that they wouldn't be able to create on their own or that replaces what they would get on their own elsewhere competitively um, and, and also creates a win for the property manager. And so I know that's why you keep coming back to resident benefit packages, the number one thing you recommend, because it's not just a fee right? It's not monetizing value that has just been amenitized up to this point. And that's a mistake we see some people making is, um, you know, not looking at also how do you create new value uh, for people so that you can really maximize the benefits. Um, and I want to circle back to this later, Todd, I want to put a pin in this, because, um, you know, later, we'll talk about the future that you see for the industry of how property managers are creating and monetizing value and how this works together. So I'm tempted to go keep going into it. But uh, <laughs> I think we're going to we're going to have a meaningful way um, to talk about that a little bit later. So putting a pin in that I'm going to take a hard left turn. Uh, because the people want to know Todd, the people want to know, um, you have been a mainstay on Facebook as a great source of not just your expertise uh, in property management, but I'm also a fan of all the memes and all of the fun stuff as well. And, you know, we're missing it all, Todd. We're missing it all. You're no longer on Facebook. So I think some people, you know, they missed a post or something like that of, of you sharing why you made this decision. And people are, people are missing you. And I think your absence is felt and uh, they, they, want, they want to understand why is Todd no longer on Facebook? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I, I did get text messages and everything from people asking me, hey, come back, you know, we want to see the memes and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I get it. I, I miss, you know, it, it is, there is downside to it because I mean, the, the thing with social media is there's, there's a whole lot of bad to it, which I'll talk about here in a second. But I mean, there is that good aspect to it where I'll be honest with you, most of my closest friends nowadays are, you know, people that I've 
probably met through Facebook when I got on the property management groups and everything, because most of my really good friends are people in the property management industry, you know, they're NARPM people. Um, and I probably met almost all of them through Facebook, you know, over the last several years. And those are my closest friends, you know, people like you, honestly, you know, I would I have ever met Andrew Smallwood if it wasn't for Facebook? And I don't know the answer to that question. So, you know, I mean, that that is a positive to it. Now, the problem is, I think that is so far outweighed by the negatives in social media. When you start to look at, you know, I, I would really recommend that people watch that documentary that's on Netflix about, I think it's called The Social Dilemma, where Tristan Harris, who was really in charge of how to do this stuff over at Facebook, about how they drive everything that they do. So, you know, it, it's, it's everything in business. We all know that what we do things in our business that are incentivized, whether it's, you know, the money that we make off of fees or getting a property rented out more quickly, because that's how we get our leasing fee. You know, we have incentives in place that drive our behavior a certain way. Facebook and all the other social media companies, their incentive, because you are not their customer, the advertiser is their customer, their incentive is to keep you scrolling. And what they've learned is that the way to keep you scrolling is to keep you mad because negative emotions drive people more than positive emotions. So when somebody is getting you angry, somebody's getting you spooled up, that's gonna keep you scrolling down through there and clicking on stuff and reacting to stuff. And what I found in my life was, it was not a positive influence. It brings out the worst in me. Whenever I posted something, I would find that people that I knew in the real world who would normally be the nicest people you would ever meet if you're sitting there and having a drink with them, they would call you a Nazi. They would just, you know, it would just be crazy. You know, it's just the slightest little thing. You know, it's like that uh, that meme. So it's, of course, since I, I think in memes, you know, that, that book, you know, where if you look at that meme, the book, you know, everyone I don't like is Hitler, a child's guide to argument argumentation or something to that effect. I mean, that's what social media becomes. And, you know, I just found, you know, when I unplugged from that and I started getting my news from, you know, the actual news, you know, like the New York Times or, you know, the Wall Street Journal or something like that then, you know, my life just uh, was better. So I, I recommend that, you know, I do, I'm still on Instagram, by the way, because what I find is Instagram is just people sharing nice photos of what's going on in their life. And it's not a bunch of arguments. So, you know, I'm still there. But I just I, I think it's a negative thing overall, to be honest with you. It makes total sense. And when you think about these companies built upon ad revenue, uh, and you mentioned, hey, their core customer is the ad revenue. And, and I think people have heard this phrase now, whether it was popularized in the documentary or not, of, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Uh, and that a lot of people are using these tools without that level of awareness and without really that level of intention, you know, about using the tool. And it's, it's easy to be susceptible to. I can't tell you how many times I've found myself saying, you know what, I'm just going to check real quick and then 35 minutes later, I find, I'm like, why am I still on here? And why do I feel this way? Um, oh, my gosh. You know, and you have to shake yourself out of it. Um, and it, it's one of those things where it's like there's a good example of an industry that I think will be struggling until they find that triple win, just one man's opinion. But when they're able to uh, – listen, I know they have like chief ethics officers and they've got – independent boards and they, like they're tr I think they're trying to solve this problem but it's so hard when to your point the incentives are so stacked right when you when when the goal here is you make all of your gazillions of dollars monetizing people's attention right then you're going to do things to capture their attention not necessarily that bring out the best in people but that could bring out the worst in people and I feel like that's what you're you're noticing that you're calling out uh, for people to pay attention to. But man, we there's so many positives of social media, like you call out as well. You just love to see somebody figure it out. Of how do you do this in a way that brings out the best in people, that allows people to connect in healthy ways, um, where maybe they aren't consuming it for nine hours a day, <laughs> and that being the that, hey, you actually want people to use your product less so that they get a better benefit out of it. Um, and they're not a, a dog in the machine. 
Yeah, it's a really difficult problem because when I think about it, you know, I think, you know, probably the best way to deal with it is to make it where you are the customer, you know, where you're paying for for your access. But then you, when you think about that, does that cut people out who, you know, can't pay for it? Because not everybody is in that socioeconomic status where they can pay for a Facebook. So, you know, now you're having a less diverse group of people that are using the product. Is that the best thing? It's a really difficult problem to solve. So, I mean, I, I kind of understand what the problem is. And, you know, like you say, with the ethics officers and all this kind of stuff, you know, that they're trying to find a way to do it. I get it. But the problem is the problem's not solved. And, you know, I don't know that it, you know, that finish line is even in sight and that's kind of worrisome. And, you know, I, I, I just see a really negative impact on society overall, not just in me, but, you know, in what we see just everywhere. And, you know, I hope, like you say, I hope somebody figures out how to do it. Cause I mean, it could be a great way to, to bring people together. It's just not right now. Well, listen, for now, people can find you on Instagram until, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Until the platforms figure it out, we we, we got to keep pushing them uh, to do better so we can get Todd back on Facebook hopefully at one point. But uh, Todd, no, thank, thanks for that. I know people were curious about that. And I think there's some interesting interesting points that you made there. Well, hey, um, before we wrap up, I really want to talk about this because you, you've had some interesting opinions. I know we've had some interesting discussions one-to-one and also um, – when you were traveling the country and, uh, and then also, you know, in some smaller groups about, and there's just a lot of conversation in the industry about this of, it, it could be companies like Zillow. It could be companies, you know, that are VC backed coming into the space. It could be, um, a variety of different things, you know, a bunch of technology coming to the self managing landlord, right. To try to equip them and help them do things that they couldn't do before, um, and it can just kind of feel like it's coming from all directions from the professional property manager's perspective of it seems like there's a lot of people out there who might be trying to compete, you know, who might be trying to replace, who might be trying to make it harder for me to really stand out and, and have a business that, uh, you know, I can be in for a long time. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you think about that and how are you looking at you know, what's going on right now? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, before I got off of, off of Facebook, I kind of posted quite a bit about this. And I, I think you and I, when I, like you said, when I was traveling the country, I think you and I had a conversation for like an hour and a half. I'm sitting in a snowstorm up in uh, Seattle of all places to get a giant snowstorm. And we kind of had a conversation about this and it's, I think it's really troubling what's going on as far as, you know, there's all these, you know, I, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who you had on the last PM exchange, but he was talking about prop tech, which is basically this whole new industry where it's it's a huge, you know, magnet for venture capital right now. And, you know, a lot of people want to get into this space and it's companies like Hemlane and Zillow and all these places want to provide this product for the self-managing landlord to make it easier for them to do things themselves. And, you know, when we already know that in our country anyway, 80%, you know, 70%, somewhere in that range of the properties that are out there in the single family space are being managed by self-managing landlords, making it easier for them. Because that's our that's our big blue ocean. That's where all of us are looking to get new customers from. I always tell people that I'm not competing with my friends that are in NARPM here in Atlanta. You know, that's not my competition. My competition is trying to convince landlords who are managing their own properties to have us manage. So, you know, when you have those prop tech companies out there that are trying to stop us from doing that by making it easier for that landlord to do it themselves, I think that's a concern. But I would say, you know, the area where we can compete here is what that what those companies are doing is basically making the mechanics of property management easy. So, you know, rent collection, maintenance, you know, screening, you know, that's all just day-to-day mechanics of property management. And 30 years ago, that was what a property manager did. Uh, Now I can say that, especially when we talk about a lot of the things that we talked about earlier, when it comes to things like benefits packages and, you know, pet guarantees and rent guarantees with security deposit alternatives, these are all things you can't do with a Hemlane software. You know, software doesn't solve this problem because what you're trying to do 
is have a broad range of properties, spread your risk among those properties, and try to create a product that is going to deal with that issue. And you can do that when you manage 300 properties. If you're an individual landlord who has three houses that you're managing in a prop tech software, you can't really solve that problem for the pet guarantee because you've only got three properties. If I charge $25 a month to each tenant with a pet, what good's that doing me? I'm not, I'm not diversifying my risk. You know, I'm not bringing in thousands of dollars a month that I can use to deal with a, a, a damage from a pet issue. The property manager is. He's got that risk spread across hundreds of properties, and this is a product that he's able to provide. And you know, that's not something that software fixes. So I think that's where, you know, and this is just very early in this problem where, I, you know, I'm trying to find what our solution is to this. But that's kind of where I go and what I think we're able to do because of the fact that we manage a lot of properties as opposed to just being a software solution, you know, to deal with mechanics. I think that's where the solution might be for us. But that's, you know, like I said, early on in the process, who knows where this goes five, 10 years from now. Mm. I love what you said there, Todd, and and who you referenced was Jeff Hoffman, co-founder of Priceline, who's actually in a previous podcast episode that people can find in the feed here, talking about this because Jeff, uh, being a co-founder of Priceline, you know, and Expedia, if you know the, the kind of relationship of those companies and how they work together over time, well, Rich Barton, CEO of Zillow. Uh, you know, was uh, he made he made his name at Expedia before he came to, to to Zillow. So they talk like a couple times a month. And as we were talking to Jeff about like, hey, real deal, you know, what's going to go on here, and how have you seen, uh, you know, technology kind of enter into these kind of industries, and how does it enter an industry like this? What you mentioned was great that technology for these what I would call or what we would call it second nature transactional property management activities, right? So like executing the screening, executing the rent collection, right? Executing these kind of transactional interactions, right? That that is a place that technology can can make 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 things more efficient or even automated, right? And knowing that, you know, hey, if, if we were relying on a person to do this before, but actually this is a problem that technology can solve really well. Well, there's like two categories there. One is there's technology that you need a person with judgment and expertise, right, to use the tool to get the best outcome and create the best experience. And in other cases, you don't, right? <laughs> in other cases, it's just replaced. And we got to get real about that and see those kind of things. Because if you're hanging your hat on the kind of transactional activities you know, and you're not doing the things to develop your business and create value that can be differentiating in the marketplace, then the challenge will be in a few years, the, the rate of change being so slow inside of your business, but the rate of change being much higher outside of your business, you will find yourself out of business. And I don't think that's too dramatic to say, because that's just what we've seen over and over again. Um, is you've got to make the rate of change in your business greater than the rate of change outside of your business, or at least targeted in the specific places where you can create enduring value. Um, and Todd, I'd love to get your take on this. Like I know Second Nature's perspective is we believe there's a local expertise and an expertise in general of someone working in this day-to-day, -day, et cetera, that property managers learning how to leverage their, their knowledge and their expertise that they have developed by being committed in this industry is an important place so that they can make the right judgments and leveraging technology uh, the way that I feel like you do and a number of our friends do, where they're quick to adopt these kind of things uh, and say, we're, we're going to become power users of this because, shoot, a, a self-managing landlord is not going to take the time to figure out all the self-showing stuff. You know, they're not going to take the time to figure out all these different tools, figure out a resident benefits package, figure out uh, the pet, right? The, the example that you used, because $25, man, it just doesn't mean all that much to them. But when you add all of those things up, again, it just puts more and more distance between what a self-managing landlord to do and what a professional can do. 
uh, and the outcomes and experiences they can create. So I'm curious if, if is that how you see it? Do you see it differently? No, no I, I do see it that way. I, something I would, you know, go back to what you just mentioned, you know, something I want to highlight is that, you know, what we you know, talk about the rate of change in your business versus the rate of change out. And, you know, something I want to bring up here is something I keep hearing from people is our business is different. And whenever I hear something like that, where, you know, this industry is different or this sector is different, anything like that, I always want, you know, that that just always makes my ears perk up. Because if you think you're different than everything else out there, you're almost certainly wrong. You know, that that is a recipe for disaster. So when we look across the country and, and all the different industries that are impacted by whether it's venture capital or technology or whatever it is. And we can see it from airlines to taxis to food delivery, grocery delivery. It's just everything you can see. If you think you're different just because you're a property manager, you are wrong. So, you know, we do have to make sure that we are adapting and we're keeping an eye on this. Um, now, there are benefits, like you say, to being the local expert. I mean, that does mean something. So when we look at something like a Zestimate, you know, Zestimates are kind of like an industry joke, um, you know, not to bash Zillow, but I mean, the, everybody just, you know, that's that's kind of a meme, you know, the Zestimate doesn't have any bearing on reality. And but it's not just them, you know, not just to give them a hassle. You know, there's also other companies out there like Rent Range, Rent Facts, Rentometer. You know, there's a bunch of companies that try to find a technology solution to this problem of determining what rent should be. And we all know in this industry, you know, even if you get the best of those solutions, you know, we use Rent Range that we think is probably the best one. But, you know, we get it, we see it all the time where we send a report to a landlord and then we go out and actually look at the house and we say, oh, well, this neighborhood doesn't really stack up to what that report thinks the rent should be. It's actually $200 off. And that's where that expertise comes in. And, you know, a $200 difference on rent, at least in our portfolio, where our average rent is $1,260, you know, that's the difference between renting your house next week or renting it six months from now because you've got it priced wrong. And that individual landlord who's just using the software, who only has the technology to go on, they're not going to be able to, to fix that problem. You know, they're going to be the person who has that property sit vacant. So there is value in being the local expert. And, you know, that's something we should emphasize, uh, you know, but I don't think that's also the be all end all either, uh, because I do think there's risk there also, because these big companies can get local people as contractors. So we do need to find ways around that and make sure that we're providing value in more ways than just being the local expert, because that can be broken through. There's a way to solve that problem if you're Zillow. So, you know, you need to be more than just that, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, Todd, here's where I'd like to, to end things. And I realize we're, we're talking so much and engaged in the conversation, we've barely been able to enjoy the bourbon up to this point. Yeah, I've gotten a few sips in. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, I think, maybe a good place to end and kind of tie, tie a couple things together. And that would be earlier you mentioned, hey, there are property managers who are doubling their revenue through these ancillary services. And, and in fact, their margins might be better you know, on that half of their business than the other half of their business. Um, and, you know, what we see is that rates are getting more competitive. And that will allow in the future, A, yes, property managers can make more. But over time, we believe that if you think about how do you get that 80% or 70% of self-managing landlords to come over? Well, just imagine a value proposition of for a 0% management fee, we can fully manage this, deploy all of our best practices programs, right? We can get you the very best outcomes, much better than you can get and create on your own, even with technology, right? And you've got a profitable business, right? If, if the ancillary, quote unquote, side of things were to, to grow 2x itself, yes, there's an opportunity to just make that much more money, but there's also an opportunity to potentially get more and more competitive for people who are trying to find a way to grow their business and attract more of those customers. And we just think, man, if you look at the multifamily industry that's been professionalized and institutionalized and everything else, you know, you see their property management costs closer to a five, five and a half percent, you know, 
uh, you know, maybe that's the answer for single family, but there's this kind of like bold idea out there of a 0% management fee. Um, do you see something like that being possible in the years ahead? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm sure you're familiar with, I'm not a, the, the biggest Jeff Bezos fan, but he does have a quote that I absolutely love, which is your margin is my opportunity. And I mean, that's, that's the reality, you know, um, the, the problem that, that we have right now is that I would say, you know, I, I have a huge margin uh, in my business. So, you know, some people would look at that as that I have the vulnerability, but the reality is it's kind of the other way around because I had a property manager in my office, you know, not too long ago. I was, it's actually one of my competitors and I was helping him out with some things, showing him some things. And some people ask me all the time, well, why do you help out your competitors? Why do you show them these things? And my answer is always pretty simple you can't undercut me on price. It is absolutely impossible. None of my competitors can do it because my ancillary revenue is so high. So, you know, I have this giant margin and because of that, I am able to basically manage a property for free. Whatever you're going to offer that client, I can offer them less, I promise you. It doesn't matter what you're offering. If you're offering them 0.99%, I will beat that. So, you know, because that's not where my money comes from. My money comes from somewhere else. You know, my money's coming from the tenant. My money is coming from my guarantee programs. It's coming from everything else. So, you know, once you have that margin built up through your ancillary revenue, then your margin that you made off of management fees doesn't matter anymore. That's kind of like icing on the cake. So, you know, I would always tell people, if you can get that ancillary revenue up, it puts you in this competitive position where you're now able to be the market leader. You're the one that gets to decide where the price goes in your market. So if you want to grow, I haven't been in a growth mode the last couple of years. We haven't been paying for marketing or anything. So, I mean, we've basically been stagnant. But if I wanted to go out there and post a Facebook ad right now with a 0% management fee, I can do that. And I can make a 20% profit margin on that. I ran the numbers yesterday to see what my margin would be on a 0% management fee. It's 20%. Uh, so, you know, that's what you're competing with. So that's why I would tell people you have to focus on this ancillary revenue because if you don't, there's going to be someone like me who does. And then I'm basically able to come in and take all of your business if that's what <laughs> I want to do. So you don't want to be in that position. <laughs> <laughs> oh man listen to todd so you don't get beaten by todd uh that's great <laughs> todd um that's such a great point of property managers who get aggressive about creating a new level of service creating a new level of value right can monetize that value and allows them to be more competitive in the tra traditional you know, kind of business model of property management um, and what's a barrier to entry for so many self-managing landlords of they just view that 8%, 10%, whatever someone's charging is, is it coming out of my return or investment? Or it's the same, it's the same property owner who's saying, well, wait, my mortgage is this amount. So shouldn't I just add this percentage and that's what I'm going to rent it for? Right? I mean, it, it's, <laughs> they're, they, they're not educated. It can take a lot of educating, you know, to help them understand how they can get the best outcomes. And offering something like a 0% management fee is, is an interesting idea over time because you just, it takes away, you know, that kind of barrier uh, to decision. It's basically, do I want to manage this and do I think I'm going to do a better job than Todd, right? Who has built a business and a process and all, like, I don't have all these things that he has. I don't have all this knowledge and expertise. It seems like more of a no-brainer, right? So um, very, very cool. Uh, well, Todd, say we raise our glass one more time. Oh, could I just add one add. more, just one more thing before we do that I want to focus on here about that benefit of the ancillary revenue is it's not just about the margin. It's about the kind of business you're able to build because of that extra revenue, because sometimes people get focused on this idea that, you know, charging fees and everything sounds greedy. And I want to make sure people understand that what you're able to do with that is to provide a much better product or service to both your owner and your tenant. 
it's the product that we offer today is head and shoulders above anything we were able to do before we were charging these fees. So, you know, keep that in mind. It's not just about making a buck. It's also about the quality of what you're providing. And because of that, you can grow because of the quality of your service, not just because of your competitive pricing on a management fee. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Sorry to, you know, interrupt you trying to close out. I I'm just trying to drink here, Todd. I'm just trying to, you know, that that's really, uh, no, that's an excellent point, Todd. And, and really, it ties into, it's property managers that are focused on that triple win, creating value for residents, owners, and their own team. And they turn that flywheel. When you create that value and you're able to monetize that value, you have more to invest into the business, more to invest into new value that creates benefits for your residents, owners, your team. It's a, you develop your business to a higher level, a differentiated level where you're not competing on price. You don't have to give away uh, you know, the percentage management fees, at least right now, because you've got such so many strong bullet points that you can point to of like, you're just not going to get these things if you go anywhere else. You're not going to get these outcomes. You're not going to have this kind of experience unless you work with me. If that's the experience you want, uh, you know, then this is the place to get it. And you can reinvest in that business and keep that flywheel turning. So it's brilliant what you're doing. We're a fan. We, we want to encourage more people to approach their business this way um, and not view it as nickel and diming or money grabbing. It, it's, it's turning a wheel of value that gets monetized, that can fuel how you continue to develop your business and create more value. I love that you said that. Well, Todd, we do have to wrap this up at some point. I mean, we could talk for hours. I know we have. But I'm going to raise a glass to you, my friend. Thank you for coming on and being our first industry uh, guest. I can't see the perfect color of your bourbon, but I'm just imagining uh, imagining it. In it is nice. From coffee cup. Uh, <laughs> cheers to you, my friend. And uh, Cheers. Hey, this is the first Toddcast, but not the last one. <laughs> That's all for this episode of The Triple Win. Thanks go out to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker for everything they do to put these episodes together. And we want to remind everyone that you can find more resources, upcoming events, a link to our private Facebook group where the conversation continues in between these episodes with other professional property managers. All of that you can find at rbp.secondnature.com. Again, that's rbp.secondnature.com. And until next time, keep transforming what it means to be in professional property management by finding and applying your next triple win. We want it to be true that every time we see you, we see a better version of you and your business. With that, cheers. Cheers.